I'm sorry we're getting a little bit of a late start, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to continue the message that we started last week from the book of James. And if you were here last week, the text is James chapter 3, and we are specifically looking at James chapter 3 on the first, I believe it's the first 12 verses. And I'm, by design, I intended to do more review than I'm going to have time to do because some other things have stepped in the way, but... As I started going through this text, and we began going through it, there were, in essence, I broke it down to four principles dealing with our speech, with how we talk, with our tongues. And when I was going through it, we got through the first many verses, And we got through two points. The first point was that you need to exercise caution before you instruct others. And that's from the very specific warning that is found in chapter 3, verse 1, about not rushing to be a teacher. There's a higher accountability for teachers. And some people were rushing to become teachers, perhaps because of prestige, perhaps because they just liked the attention. And the caution was, be careful. And then the second principle is that we have to exercise self-control over our tongues. We have to exercise self-control over our words. And as we looked at verses 2, 3, and 4, and again, I'm doing a much quicker overview than I had originally intended, what we see is that the tongue is considered an indicator of our spiritual maturity. If we had the ability to control the words coming out of our mouth, it would indicate that we were completely mature. It says, if anyone does not stumble to what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. The idea is, if you can get to the point in your maturity that you can control your mouth, all the other fleshly sins you struggle with are going to be easy by comparison. You're going to be able to nip anything else in the bud. You're going to be able to handle any other issue that comes along. The centrality of our hearts, and the fact that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, is really what is getting at here. The idea that if we can control and exercise self-control over our words, it's an indication that we are approaching spiritual maturity. For many of us, there were a lot of things when we first came to faith that we might have had to have changed how we said them, or we had to change things, or clean up profanity, On and on it goes, but the idea, and he uses two illustrations, one from from horses, you know, a small bit controls a giant animal, and with a ship's rudder, a small rudder controls the direction of a giant ship. All those, those are just illustrations of how this little tiny part of our body, if you put it on a scale, would be insignificant compared to the weight of the rest of the body, has a disproportionate influence. It has a disproportionate influence because it is able to do great things and to do disastrous things. Again, that's a much quicker summary than I'd originally intended. But after those first two points, that you've got to exercise caution before you talk to other people, 
And you've got to exercise self-control over your tongue, which I think almost by nature, the, the application of that is understandable, exercising self-control. The third point comes directly from our text, but it might take a little bit of pondering to reflect upon it. And the third point is this, anticipate destruction before you speak. Anticipate destruction before you speak. If you look down at verse 5, it's really a a second half of verse 5. We have this expression. It says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members, is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds... Of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. James, with that word see, is translated in different things in other versions, behold in some versions. But that idea is trying to get your attention. It's trying to get our attention. Even as he's talked about the benefits, if you can control your tongue... You have spiritual maturity. You have maturity. He wants to call attention to the consequences of refusing and or failing to exercise self-control. Refusing means I'm just going to say what I want to say. Failing is negligence, not, not being careful. Just letting your mouth run too much. And James paints a devastating picture of the destructive capability that resides within each one of us. He first just makes this picture how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And and that carries over into common understanding. If you've ever lived in an area where things are dry, how much of a fire does it take to start a raging fire? Things are consumed dramatically. I used to do day travels in California. I would fly out of Burbank to Northern California and fly back. And I remember at one point they were having wildfires and coming in at night, and as far as the eye could see, was flames. It was just every canyon, it just runs and the wind takes it. But the point was, it all started with a spark, a fire, and it consumed thousands and thousands of acres. And that is the imagery here. That a small fire can consume vast quantities of things and then he brings it home and says, that's what you have in your mouth. The tongue is a fire. It is the centerpiece of destruction if not controlled. He's painting a picture and he's obviously not saying your tongue is literally on fire, but he's not saying your tongue is like a fire. He's saying it is a fire. His words used or trying to say it has the exact same potential of destruction as a flame that consumes everything in its path. And he paints a picture of the tongue as being the very center of this world system, that one of the sources of evil in our entire world system. If you think of sin, you think of any conceivable sin, you think of the great wicked destruction over, for example, even the last couple of centuries... The tongue of someone was always at the centerpiece. I'm a history buff. I watch a lot of shows about things. I always am drawn back to World War II, and I'm fascinated by the fact that somebody like Hitler held sway and how close he came to dominating the world, 
And it all started with speeches. It did. I mean, he actually had a distinguished service record in World War I, but he wasn't famous. He wasn't wealthy. But wealthy and powerful people listened to him talk, and they were captivated. And the end result was tens of millions of people destroyed. So our own experiences proves the reality of what James was saying 2,000 years ago. It's still the same issue because human hearts haven't changed. The human tongue is a key source of defilement of our world. The Bible paints a picture that as believers we're supposed to abstain from evil. We're supposed to stay away from destructive things. In the beginning of James, James 1.27, he talks about pure and undefiled religion, visiting orphan and widows in distress, and keeping oneself unstained from the world. We're supposed to step back from that. I won't read it from a time standpoint, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 19, familiar refrain, you shall be holy as I am holy. Peter's quoting the Old Testament, and he's making it clear this applies to Christians. Even though we live in a polluted environment, we're not supposed to get that pollution on us. We're supposed to step back from that. And the polluted environment we live in is comprehensive. It's in the entire world system. And in this context, if the tongue is not controlled, we're not keeping ourselves away from it. In fact, we're joining in the same wickedness that's all around us. In fact, as James is painting this picture, the picture is such that our tongues become the means by which we are stained. If you think about it, and you have on a, I'm wearing a suit this morning, okay? If I know, for example, there's grease all over those doors, I'm going to be very careful walking through those doors. I'm going to be trying to be careful to keep, make sure the grease doesn't touch me and all those things. That's the imagery of how as Christians we're supposed to be navigating this world. It's all around us, the filth, the defilement, and it will cling to us like grease, like dirt, like mud, and we're supposed to navigate through and we're supposed to stay away from it. And James is saying, look, if you're not controlling your tongue, then you've already lost the battle. If you're not controlling your tongue, then being delicate with the door is silly because you've already defiled yourself. John MacArthur painted a picture in his commentary of a tongue being something kind of like smoke which permeates everything. If you've ever come into a room that had smoke in it, I like playing pool. If you know Jeff Lanotte, he's a pool player. Occasionally we'll go somewhere and play pool. Well, I can assure you in this area, if you go somewhere to play pool, everybody smokes cigarettes. And it's funny, as soon as you come home and I get in the car, it's like, oh my goodness, I've been rolling around in an ashtray. <laughs> but you understand that. It just permeates everything. I have to come home and take a shower because it's just disgusting. I don't even want to get in bed smelling that way. That's the pervasive nature of an uncontrolled tongue and how quickly it infiltrates every aspect of our lives. Gossip, slander. Lying, boasting, tearing other people down, gossiping about other people, spreading rumors, insults, criticisms, harsh words, not funny sarcasm, but biting sarcasm intended to humiliate someone. 
As another pastor said, it can destroy people, families, schools, churches, communities. And if we're not careful, according to this, the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. It's really a reference to the satanic influence of the world and the fact that if we're not careful, Satan would love to have us using our tongues to destroy everything. What we see in Scripture of the great temptation of all time when Satan tempted Eve and she fell, it was done by words. Jesus talked about Satan and said he is a liar and the father of lies. I still am amazed Satan tried to tempt Jesus. Satan knew who Jesus was. He had seen Jesus. He knew God. And yet he still, with his own words, thought he was able to trip up Jesus. We have to be cautious and we have to think before we talk about the damage we can do if we don't exercise self-control. If we don't think before we speak, if we don't reflect on our words when we're angry before we share our anger with others, if we don't think carefully before we start correcting somebody who's made the same mistake for the hundredth time, we will betray the continuing lack of sanctification in our own lives by the words that come spewing out of our mouths, and we will have started a path of destruction that we can't always stop. You think about a forest fire. Once it gets going, nobody can control it. It's at the mercy of the wind. It's at the mercy of the terrain. Had a young man that was part of a Bible study we were in California. He was a firefighter with the federal government. He was on one of the hot shot crews. It was incredibly dangerous because they were going and they're trying to cut fire lines and they're trying to take away fuel, but you still don't know. And I think many of us experience, we've said things and we didn't realize how far reaching the implications were going to be. Oh, I didn't know they would tell them. I can't believe they took what I said and they told somebody else. And the next thing you know, it spread. And there's hurt feelings and there's damaged relationships. We don't want to be instruments of destruction. And so we have to be careful. James, again, continues to paint a picture with imagery trying to bring this home to us. He's used different imagery at different times. He's writing in a very picturesque way because he wants us to think through and be very careful with this live ammunition we carry around. He says in verse 7, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's interesting because he borrows from the natural world to create yet another picture of what's going on. And it's interesting because he talks about all of these various types of animals and he says they have been tamed, they are tamed by the human race. And he's not talking about domestication. He's not talking about the fact that we've taken every creature on the earth and turned them into farm animals because that obviously is not true. What he's talking about is the inherent ability of mankind to overcome any animal. 
This goes back to the created order. Mankind was to have dominion over all of the creatures. That's what God designed. That's what God said. Supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all of those things. That was before the fall. After the fall, God reiterated the same principles to Noah. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God said, all the animals actually be afraid of you because they understand you're in control. By nature, we have superiority over every animal. And if you think about our lives today, we even see that's true. You know, one-on-one, a lion might kill us. But most people that are going to be near lions have guns. And guess what? The gun wins. And if we send one of our lightly armed military squads up against any animals on the earth, the animals are dead. And we can go out in the oceans now and we can drain them of fish. There might be some really deep that we have to wait for a while to get them up, but we can kill anything. There is no animal, despite my love of movies like Planet of the Apes, there's no animal that's going to take over the earth. (laughs) God gave us dominion. We still exercise it. We see it in circuses. We see it in SeaWorld. We see it in the zoos. We see it with bull riding. We see it with people that are herding cattle. We see it with fishermen. On and on it goes. And James is saying that's always been the case and it will always be the case. And so this imagery, if you think, think about the biggest, most ferocious animals on the earth, and James is saying humans can take care of that. And again, he was writing in an earlier era before the advent of all the fancy weapons we have, but it was still the case 2,000 years ago. And so he is saying that we could conquer any animal on the earth. You got the biggest fish, you got the biggest bird, you got the biggest land animal the most ferocious animal, all of that we can take care of, but we can't control this. That's hard to fathom from a physical perspective because this is tiny. And yet that's his imagery. A killer whale or a lion or a tiger or an elephant or a gorilla, those are nothing compared to this little tiny thing that no one can control. Because while we inherently can exercise control over the animal kingdom as part of the created order, because of sin, we can't inherently control this little tiny thing that each one of us carries around. And as much as we try and constrain it, as much as we can try and control it, it's kind of like the old King Kong thing. They put him in chains and he breaks free and he goes on a rampage. That's sort of the image of our tongues. I think every one of us, when we're in our right minds and we're thinking correctly, can identify with the prophet Isaiah who says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people with unclean lips. All of this points the truth of the scripture we saw last week, Proverbs 10, 19, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue is unlike anything else on the earth. We should have a healthy fear of opening our mouths, and we don't. I know I don't. I do right now, as I'm, and I'm convicted, and I'm reading this, but I'm going to go away from here, and I'm going to get distracted, and I'm going to say something, and I'm going to regret it. 
The point of James is that we don't have to be that way. If we are alert, if we are aware of the danger of what we carry around, we'll be careful. I know for myself, if I'm around the house doing something, even something as simple as gasoline, I'm careful. I want to make sure I get it actually in the instrument. I don't want to throw it all over the place. I know it could be unhealthy for my family. I don't want it in our swimming pool. I don't want it where our dog is going to come out and lick it up and die. I'm very cautious. I'm very careful. That type of caution and care is what should happen with us talking. We should be that careful. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. That's what we have to be cautious about. That's what we have to be careful about. That's why I phrase the point, anticipate destruction before you speak. Think about yourself carrying around a stick of dynamite that's lit. That's what, that's what our, our words are. We're carrying around a hand grenade with a pen out. Be careful. There's going to be danger. There's damage. And that leads to the last point. And I'll have to hustle through this. And I apologize for speeding through it. But our time is not um, significant. I said exercise caution before you instruct others. Exercise self-control over your tongue. Anticipate destruction before you speak. And finally, realize words reveal the heart. Realize words reveal the heart. In verses 9 and 10, it says this. Again, he's talked about the tongue. You can't tame it. It's restless evil. He said, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. If all of the talking about the tongue has escaped you or you haven't been convicted, this should be the clincher. And James is building a strong case. He's just building evidence. It's like a wave of argument to make sure that every one of us eventually looks in the mirror and recognizes where we are. And this is a perfect scripture for what's happening today. What do we do every Sunday? At some point, we're going to start singing. We're going to be praising the Lord. Most of us aren't going to walk around insulting people this morning. I mean, we're going to smile and, hey, how are you? Good to see you. I'm praying for you. We'll be very friendly. And again, we're going to be praising the Lord. I love to sing. I love our worship here at Lakeside, I, I just love it. It's one of the highlights of the, the service. Later tonight, we're going to pray. We're going to be lifting our voices up in small groups here to the Lord. We've already done that in our Sunday school class. There is a lot of blessing God and praising God coming from our lips. And he's saying, and yet those same lips will turn around and talk bad about people. And not just Christians, but we'll talk bad about anyone. And we don't have a license to talk bad about everybody but Christians. Look at what he appeals to. With it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. He's talking about the inherent worth of even fallen humanity because of the image of God. The reason why... Capital punishment is sanctioned by the Bible, by the scriptures, is because you're taking the life of someone made in the image of God. 
I don't want to offend people too much, but I can tell you in conservative Christian circles, we are vicious when it comes to politicians that we don't like. If I turned into a Baptist and had every head bow, every eyes closed, and raise your hand if you've said something cruel and unkind about our president and didn't even flinch about it. In fact, you were justified. He deserves it. You won't find that in Scripture. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. This is just an illustration of an example of where I know I can be guilty, and I know many of us are guilty. And we're not supposed to be doing that. We're not supposed to be here on Sunday praising the Lord and then walking out and just cutting people down the rest of the time, talking bad about them, talking bad about our coworkers who are incompetent, or talking bad about our bosses who are so unreasonable and unfair, or talking bad about our kids who don't listen, or talking bad about our spouses who annoy us, or talking bad about our brothers or sisters or the other Christians who just don't do the things that they should do because we know the best way. If I'm only talking to myself, I know how applicable this is. This contrast, the best use you could use of your tongue is to praise the Lord. That's the best thing you could ever do is praise the Lord. And yet at the same time, the same tongue can think nothing of cutting everybody else down. That shouldn't be that way. And he appeals with loving affection just like I do. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be that way. That should not characterize Lakeside. It should never characterize God's church, but it shouldn't characterize us. There's plenty to be disgusted with in this world from a righteous perspective. It's okay to look and grieve and mourn because of the wickedness that seems to be carrying the day, but the answer to that is to not be grumblers and complainers and slanderers and those who going about throw darts of destruction with our tongues. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be a gospel witness. I always find it fascinating that the example given in 1 Peter chapter 2 of Jesus when he was reviled, he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he was suffering, he didn't utter any threats. I mean, any one of us would say, boy, you say you got 10,000 angels at your disposal, just start throwing them down. Kill some people. A guard mocking you, you're the God of the universe, zap him. Curse him. You think about Jesus, he cursed a fig tree, and that fig tree died instantly. That's what we wish we could do with our tongues to all the people around us, if we're honest with ourselves and our hearts. And yet the scriptures are saying, don't. No, 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 no. Brothers and sisters, that's not it. That's not God's way. That's not what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to be at a different standard. We're supposed to be doing things differently. That's his final illustration in verses 11 and 12. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. The idea of all of that is this. If we are born again... If we have been transformed by the Spirit of God, 
we should not look like our old self. We should not talk like worldly people. We should not talk like unbelievers. We are recipients of living water. We are recipients of a fountain of life. We are recipients and we have indwelling us the Spirit of God who can produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That should be how we speak. And when we're not speaking that way, we're revealing the remaining residual corruption of our hearts. And it's a horrific picture. Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. That really is a powerful thing. If, if God gets the weight of that on you, don't run away from it. I think that's one of the measures that we do what Paul said. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine your words. Examine what comes out of your mouth. Does it reflect the Spirit of God? So in all of this, it comes back to our hearts. The fruit, the water produced by our tongue, reflects what's going on inside of us. In fact, that ought to be the first indication to you when you're spiritually drifting. When you say things and you go, where'd that come from? It comes from here. When suddenly you notice you're being more cantankerous than normal. You're fighting with everyone. You're jabbing at everyone. You're nitpicking everything. You've got something to say about everything. That's not an indication that you're walking closely with God. It's an indication that you're adrift. Praise the Lord that God is merciful and patient with us. If he wasn't, we'd be, we'd be empty room. We'd all be Ananias and Sapphira by our mouths. But God is patient with us. And even if you have struggled, even if you have fallen short, let me encourage you, there is hope. If you know Christ, you do have the Spirit indwelling you. You can begin to exercise self-control. God has given you the ability to do that. And if even as you're hearing these words, you recognize that your tongue has been out of control, all you have to do is come to the Lord and confess it and repent. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can get that cleansing this morning. And let me encourage you to seek it. Unfortunately, there's a pattern that happens with sin. If we've started going down a path, we pull back. For some people, they stop regular church attendance. They, they back away. They stop interacting with people. For others, they just kind of withdraw into themselves. That's not the solution to a sin problem with the tongue. Confess it. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to help you. Ask others to hold you accountable, to let you know when bad patterns are rearing their head. For unbelievers, they really have no hope of ever controlling the tongue. That's why there's more and more vile things on TV because tongues are unrestrained and nobody's stepping in. That's why there's more and more vile things on the internet and more and more vile things in movies. Things that 50 years ago nobody would have dreamed that anybody would dare say in public. And all that that reflects is that the hearts of evil that have always been there now have a voice. 
And shame is receding back. And so people say more and more, and unfortunately, Christians too often just say, hey, my little corner of unwholesome speech isn't that bad. It's not as bad as that. Don't live that way. And let me encourage you, if you've never controlled your speech, examine whether you truly have been born again. Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. Take seriously the warnings of James and the warnings of Scripture and make sure that your tongue reflects your salvation. Let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, every one of us has spoken words that are shameful and embarrassing. Lord, some have spoken words like that this morning. For some, it may have been a few days. But Lord, this is a lifelong struggle and it is a serious issue. Lord, there's probably some in this room who haven't been struggling with their tongue. They've just gotten complacent. I pray, Lord, that you would convict them. I pray that you would encourage them that there is hope to overcome sinful speech patterns. And for others, Lord, they have been fighting and struggling and yet they still fail. Pray that you would help them overcome. Pray that you would encourage them to keep fighting the battle. Lord, help them not to give up. But Lord, also draw them towards the scriptures which can show them the types of thoughts that should be dwelling in their hearts and minds so that the words that come from their heart would be wholesome and pleasant and pure. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that our tongues would not be destructive forces in our church or in our workplaces or in our families or our neighborhoods or amongst those that we interact with. I pray that it could be said of us by other people who interact with us, it's pleasant to be around them. Their words are encouraging. Their words are hopeful. Their words bring life. Lord, help us be those types of people. We know we can't do it on our own. We know that that's not something we do Lord, we pray that you would produce that fruit in us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.